The subject of our talk this morning is going to be on love, joy, pain, and suffering. Now, as a young woman, I must be quite an authority on pain and suffering, wouldn't you think? But now with pain, I do not mean a nagging discomfort in the intestines. For that matter, by love, I do not mean a nagging discomfort in the intestines either. The question I will put to you this morning and that Pastor John would attempt to answer is this. If God loves us, why does he allow us to suffer so much? Pain, war, pestilence, famine. This is this morning's paper. Last night, as you probably all know, a number one bus drove into a column of young Royal Marine cadets, killing 23 of them. They were 10-year-old boys marching and singing on their way to a boxing match. The road was unlit. The driver didn't see them. It was a tragic accident. No one was to blame except him. Now where was he? Why didn't he stop it? What possible point could there be to such a tragedy? Isn't God supposed to be good? Isn't God supposed to be loving? Now there's the nub of the matter, love. I think I'm correct in saying that when most of us think of love, we mean kindness or being in love. But when we say that God loves us, we don't mean that God's in love with us, do we? Not sitting by the telephone writing letters, I love you madly, God, kiss, kiss, and hugs. No, I don't think so. Perhaps we mean he's a kind God. Kindness being the desire to see others happy. Not happy in this way or that way, just happy. Here, I'm going to say something that may come as a bit of a shock. I believe that God does not necessarily want us to be happy. He wants us to be lovable, worthy of love, able to be loved by Him. We don't start out being all that lovable, if we're honest. What makes people so hard to love? Isn't it what we commonly call selfishness? Selfish people are hard to love because so little love comes out of them. God creates us free, free to be selfish. But He, create, he made a mechanism that will penetrate our selfishness and wake us up to the sufferings of others in this world. And that mechanism is called suffering. To put it in another way, suffering is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Why must it be suffering? Why couldn't he wake us more gently with violins or laughter? It's because the dream that we must awaken from is the dream that all is well. That is the most dangerous illusion of them all. Self-sufficiency is the enemy of salvation. If you're self-sufficient, you have no need of God. If you have no need of God, you will not seek Him. If you do not seek Him, you will not find Him. God loves us, so therefore He makes us the gift of suffering. <clears throat> Through suffering, we release our toys on this world and we realize our true good lies in another world. We are like blocks of stone, out of which the sculptor carves the forms of men. And the blows of his chisel, which hurt us so much, is what makes us perfect. The suffering in this world is not God's failure of his love. It's that love in action. For believe me, this world that we seem so substantial to us is nothing more than the Shadowlands. True living has not begun yet. I don't think I need to preach after that, do you? <laughs> she stole my thunder. Okay, young people, you may be dismissed for junior church.
It certainly is a troubling question, isn't it? We've been talking about this for several weeks, and we're about done with this series. I think uh, two more messages, maybe one more, and we'll be done with this. But I, I trust that in the last several weeks, we've begun to get a grip on, or at least been changing our perspective on what to do when suffering comes. Again, we don't have to wake up in the morning and say, Lord, give me suffering today. It's going to come in one form or another by His design, which we'll be looking at that somewhat today. But Brianna's point from C.S. Lewis makes the very good point there that unless there is suffering going on, we have no need to turn to God. In fact, if we're honest with ourselves, when even as believers, those of us that are even mature and well-grounded in the Word, when things are going smoothly, do we have a tendency to drift away from Him? I do. In the last few years, when things are going well, I've even tried to make it a point of, Lord, keep, I want to stay close to you. I don't want to drift because things are going smoothly. Because it's inevitable, as we've been saying right along, and for some of our young people, if you've not experienced any suffering, you just haven't lived long enough yet. It's inevitable. It's part of life. <coughs> Ultimately, it's because of the sin curse. In fact, as I was talking to Pastor Emerson on Tuesday, and that was before his scan, and of course there's that anxiety of what to expect and I don't know there's not much you can say to help someone but I just try to remind him that you're in God's hands and he has a purpose and he'll give you the grace to, to deal with it when the time comes so as we look at our notes God's purpose and our divine suffering let's turn to Isaiah 43 verse 2 Again, I remind you, Isaiah was a prophet in a suffering time for Israel. That suffering was there because of their sinfulness. It was actually a form of chastisement, which we've been looking at, uh, which we've looked at in the past. But here's a reminder from the Lord to Isaiah and to Israel. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Are there two images that pop into your mind as you read that verse? For Israel, I'm sure there were two things that popped into their mind. One, the parting of the Red Sea. And the last one, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when you're thrown into the fiery furnace. Israel was in a panic. The Egyptians were coming back to get them and they were trapped. Suffering. God allowed the suffering because he was about to show them how great a God he really was. Can you imagine being trapped with the sea one side, Egyptian on the other side, and then turn around and see the sea park behind you? 
do you have a new vision of God now? Would you? I would. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their love for God was so intense that they didn't care if they burned up in a furnace. And I remind you that the king said, fire that thing up seven times hotter than it's ever been. I don't know what kept the furnace from melting. And they threw the three, in fact, when they threw the guys in there, it scorched the ones that threw them in there. It was so hot. And the king looked in there and said, I thought we threw three guys in there. There's four. And the one is like God. <laughs> because it was. Now, obviously, God's not going to let us escape the fires and the waters at every point. But we need to remember that he's with us. Psalm 23, which is a very familiar psalm. Many of you could probably quote it. I know individuals that quote this every day before they go to bed. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now what's the rod and the staff? They were to protect the sheep. So that meant there was threats constantly. There was the threat of suffering constantly. But I'm with you. I've got a rod and I've got a staff and I'm going to take care of you. And we're all going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death unless the rapture takes place. Death is inevitable. We're not going to escape it. And for those of us that are believers, that we really want to? If somebody came up with a pill that you could live a thousand years, would you buy it? Not me. <laughs> I don't want it. I know i got a much better place to go, and I'm looking forward to going there. When the Lord says, my time, I'm not going to be like Hezekiah. Lord, give me some more time. I don't think Hezekiah knew what he had coming ahead of him. Or he would never ask for another 15 years. I think the Lord put that there for a reason. Because <laughs> the next 15 years to end up being a disaster. God's purpose does not mean he will give us immediate comfort. That's what we want, isn't it? We want immediate comfort. Now... I've not lived any other place across the globe here anywhere, but I think we as Americans are spoiled. We can have everything in an instant. In fact, I remember when the microwaves came out. And my wife said, what am I going to do with a microwave? I don't want one. And I thought they were a neat invention. Love to have one. Finally talked her into it. Now we can't live without it. <laughs> we use it every day. It's instantaneous heat. We want everything right now. But one thing I've learned over the years, God is not an immediate God. Let's stop and think about it. Could he have created everything in one day? He could have, but he took six days. Could he have gotten the Israelites from Egypt to the Promised Land in a matter of weeks? Actually, they tell me it should have taken no more than four weeks to walk from where they were to Israel. But he delayed it for 40 years. When Paul got saved, he knew the scriptures. I mean, he was a Pharisee. But God stuck him on the backside of a desert for three years. God is not a God that gets in a hurry. 
There's only one promise, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Again, another passage of scripture that we're familiar with, but in the ongoing trials and tests and the suffering that we go through, He promises the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. Now, I believe we can be in the worst suffering we've ever experienced and still enjoy love, joy, and peace. And that whole list. But again, as C.S. Lewis shared with us through Brianna today, we need help. We need dependency on God. Again, I keep bringing this up, and I hope I never get tired of even thinking about it. But I just cannot imagine why the almighty God of the universe wants to have any, attention, any of my attention at all. Does that boggle your mind? I know what I'm like. Do you know what you're like? I'm nothing but a filthy, dirty, rotten sinner before a holy God, and he wants my attention. That's why he went to the cross. When he was hanging on that cross, I was on his mind. You were on his mind. He wants us to be dependent upon him, not because of an ego trip. He knows that we are, we are dependent upon him. We are developing an intimate relationship with him. And that's what he wants us to have. And Hebrews 12, 2 says he counted it joy when he went to the cross and was crucified. I've come to realize that the word joy and enjoy are two different words. Enjoy means it's pleasant. Joy means there's a sense of satisfaction and contentment that I'm doing what God wants me to do. That's the only thing it can mean because we know it was extremely difficult for Christ to go to the cross. He went to the garden and it was so intense, the suffering that was coming, that he sweat drops of blood. Now I've been under some pressure, but never that much. And yet he counted that joy. Why? Because he was doing his Father's will. And back again what C.S. Lewis said, life is not about me. My selfishness gets me into trouble. How about you? My own worst enemy is not my wife or my kids or you folks or humanity. It's me. It's how I respond to you. We need to find help in Him. And it's because of our sin nature that we want to feel good all the time. And that's the, the Satan's deception. Feel good all the time. How many pills do we have out there? How many forms of alcohol and drugs are out there just to feel good all the time? Now, I believe God wants us to be comfortable to some degree, but not to the point of where I'm worshiping my feel-goodness and my comfort zone. We must be dependent upon Him because of our faith in Him. So suffering teaches us to need Him. And my independent spirit is the thing that gets me into trouble. I want things my way. And I believe we're honest with ourselves. Every time we look at ourselves, when we are struggling, we're, we're frustrated, and we're doing things that are wrong, what's underlying is, I am not getting my way. 
But there are some honest reactions to our suffering. Confusion. Ever felt confused? Upset? Feeling endangered? Sometimes just really rocked out of life? Overwhelmed? Preoccupied? A weak in faith? And how many times have we laid in our bed and put our heads in our pillow and our head just spins all night long? Been there? These are honest reactions to our suffering. And they're not sinful. But they should be driving us to the feet of the Savior. So Lord, help me sort this out. Help me to see you through this. What was going through the Savior's mind when he was kneeling there in the garden, sweating drops of blood? Was he experiencing any of these things? I'm sure he wasn't confused because he knew exactly why he was there. Feeling endangered? Yeah, he could see that. His body was about to die. And his relationship with the Father for the first time in all of eternity was about to be separated for about six hours. His faith wasn't weakened, but he certainly was overwhelmed. He was preoccupied. What about some dishonest reactions to our suffering? Ever become cynical? Become hard-boiled? I find that is something that people who have been really hurt bad, they become hard-boiled. It's a defense mechanism. I've been hurt once, and you're not going to hurt me. And so we put up a wall to protect us. It's not always bad, but too many times it becomes that way. Then we become brutal with other individuals around us. We feel invulnerable. We become callous. Our spiritual growth begins to slip back because we start doubting God. And doubt is one of the biggest tools that Satan will use against us. We'll escape to places of false security. We'll get ourselves involved in, in fact, let's look at some wrong ways that we handle our suffering. Vigorous exercise. And nothing wrong with exercise. In fact, probably if we're honest with ourselves, we could all use a little more exercise. We don't get enough unless you've got a job that keeps you going. What about Prozac or some pill of some sort? Now, I want to make it clear. I'm not saying that we should never take pills because when our body needs it, we need it. But there are some who take it for the purpose of finding relief instead of finding it in Christ. Or how about psychotherapy? Going to a psychologist or psychiatrist. Again, they can be helpful. But if that's where we're going instead of to God to find help, it's not beneficial. Then there's some that run to the doctors. They're hypochondriacs. And believe me, been there, done that. If we are not trusting God and we're not dealing with the suffering that's going on, it will affect us spiritually and physically. I had headache for six months every day. Could not figure out why. So they wired me up to these wires and EEG or whatever they called it. And got the report. Doc says we didn't find anything up there. And my wife said, I could have told you that. We could have saved you that, that work. But the problem wasn't up here. The problem was here. 
I said, Doc, I know what the problem is. I am not dealing with my suffering. I'm not dealing with my worry in a godly manner. I'll take care of it. And actually, within a week, my headaches were gone. About a year later, I began having bowel problems. And so they did the upper GI, lower GI, all that kind of stuff, and said, we can't find anything wrong. I said, I know what the problem is. I was worrying and not dealing with my suffering in a godly manner again. I just transferred it from here to here. But once I got my act together spiritually, the physical problem took care of itself. So I didn't need all the doctors. Now, obviously we do need doctors, so I'm not telling you to never go to a doctor because we need to do that. But examine why you're going. Examine first, is there some kind of a spiritual condition that I am ignoring that is causing this problem? What about a vacation? Now we need vacations. I believe they are, I believe they're biblically spoken of in scripture because when Israel, if you look at their religious system, they had two weeks vacation when they were to do nothing. But we take a vacation from God. God wants us to take a vacation to God. There were Sabbath weekends when they weren't to do any work. And that's what we try to do with our vacations. Spend more time in prayer, more time in meditation. And we have seen in our lives on many occasions on vacation when God has given us answers during that vacation time. We need vacations. In fact, I was advised when I got into ministry by a pastor who didn't practice what he preached. Take your vacation and take your days off. You will need it. And I've done that. He learned the hard way. He didn't do it for a good many years. And it took a toll on him, spiritually and physically. Then we'll distance ourselves. We'll walk away from things. When we're in suffering, things must continue to go on. We still have responsibilities. We have to fulfill those. We can't walk away from them. We can't quit. And sometimes we'll go about searching for what we want to hear. Or we'll get ourselves more deeply involved in work so we don't have to think about the things that are bothering us. Those are some wrong ways to handle it. But we need to be honest in our suffering. Let's turn to Isaiah 41, 10. As much as we don't want to admit it, Something hurtful should hurt. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When there is suffering, it's okay to feel the hurt. It's okay to feel the pain. And it's okay not to try to correct it overnight. But realize that the Lord is there. When we continue to attempt to pad our comfort zone, we're actually putting a greater distance between us and God. And let me use an example. Now, this is an area of chastisement, but I had a sister that was wayward from the Lord. And I can share this testimony with you because she's allowed me to. She had drifted from the Lord. And when you drift from the Lord, you know the Lord. The Lord's going to spank you. Guaranteed. Because he loves you. He's going to chastise you. 
the Lord was working diligently on my sister to bring her back to him. And my mother, and some of you have met her, she's a little short gal, but she's got a heart this big. She couldn't see her daughter hurt. What mother would? This went on for three years, four years actually. I finally sat down with my mom one day. I said, Mom, I know you love Jan. And I know you don't want her to hurt and suffer. But let me give you some advice. Get it out of the way. God is working on her and let it hurt. Let her hit the bottom so she'll come back to the Lord. That was, I think, the hardest thing my mother ever had to do was to back away and let God work and just pray. And my mom's a prayer warrior. She prayed me out of several situations growing up. She did. She backed off. She finally sat down with my sister and said, Jan, I love you, but I see I've been doing you wrong. God's been working on you, and I've been interfering. And I'm not going to do it anymore. I promise you I'm going to pray for you every day. Within one year's time, after my sister went some horrible suffering for that year, she says, enough's enough. I'm coming back to the Lord. And she's living for the Lord yet today. And that's been 30 years ago. Now, I have another sister who did the same thing. I had her brother did the same thing. My mom was a little wiser this time. She stayed out of the way. It didn't take quite as long for them to come back. Suffering can be good. God uses it for a purpose to draw us closer to Him. And so if you have a loved one, or yourself, don't try to pad your comfort zone when God's trying to chastise you. All suffering is to bring us closer to Him. Because ultimately it boils down to this. We want to see life for me. We must be willing to endure the full extent of the suffering that God has designed and not be disappointed when God doesn't remove that pain quickly. And when you stop and think about it, how long can suffering be compared to eternity? Let's say we suffer for, well, let's look at Johnny Erickson Tata. She was broke her neck, what, 18, I think? She's now close to 60, I think. I think she has cancer now, if I recall correctly. 50 years bedridden in a wheelchair. And she did plead with God to have her suffering removed quickly. God, do something. How can I do anything this way? Well, we all know what God did, don't we? Yeah, 50 years. Let's say it goes another 50 years. What's 100 years compared to eternity? It's nothing. But we don't see it that way, do we? How many of you have been sick? And how long can the night be when you're not feeling well? It seems like forever till morning comes. And then you're not feeling and you can't wait till night comes. And then night comes, you can't wait for morning to come. Am I right? Some of you have been there? How long can that be compared to eternity? 
But if what God wants to do to mold us and shape us to be more like Christ in that time period that will enhance our eternity, we should be grateful for it. And that's what he wants us to see through all this suffering. God is always up to better things. But he's not going to be our lucky charm. There are individuals that treat God like a lucky charm or like a genie. I'm sure there's some people today. They're in church today, and the reason they're there is, look at me, God, I'm giving you an hour of my time. I'm in church. And look at me, God, I'm putting money in the offering plate. And look at me, God, I'm doing this. And, and now, God, give me a good week. If that's our motive for being here today, folks, it's wrong. We need to be here. God, help me to do whatever you want me to do this week for you because I love you. And if that means suffering, and Paul says it many places, I suffer for the cause of Christ. And we don't know what suffering is, but we got brothers and sisters across this globe today that are suffering dearly because of their faith in Christ. They're being persecuted. Their churches are being burned down. Their pastors are being killed. They're in fact, there's uh, just last month in South Africa, I think it was Chad, a whole bunch of Muslims surrounded a Christian church and shot the place up and burned it down and killed just about the whole congregation. We don't know what that is. And as much suffering there is involved in that, every time these people persecute the Christian, Christianity flourishes. Because people say, why would you die for a man such as him? And they tell them, and they say, well, gee, if, he's, well, if you want to die for that, maybe I ought to have some of that too. Suffering is not pleasant, but God uses it for better things. Let's turn to Isaiah 55. I have to remind myself of this verse constantly. Psalm 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I read that verse every time I want to say, God, will you come down and discuss today's events with me before we get into them? <laughs> I'd like to put my stamp of approval on them first before we get into this day. Ever been there? Would you like that God to do that? God, send me the agenda for this week and I'll give you my stamp of approval. I'm glad he doesn't do that because I don't want to know what comes tomorrow. It may not be something pleasant. Again, some of you have been in Pastor Amundsen's shoes to get the bad news. That's frustrating. It's concerning. But we know that God has a plan and a reason for it. And, and as he said, I don't know why this happened. We all know why. Just hard to remember sometimes. We live in a sin-cursed world. And this sin curse will affects our bodies and bad things happen to them. But God's ways are His ways. Now what's the ultimate goal here? I believe it's in 1 Peter 3.19. He's not willing that any should perish. And there's some of you sitting in this very room that if you had not gone through some hard times, you would have never come to know Christ. I remind you of Levon. 
I remember her coming to my office. She's a friend of Robin's. She found she had cancer. Scared her and scared her good, and it should. But as a result of it, we all know LeVon come to know Christ. We'll see LeVon forever. But what if she had blamed God for that and rejected that and never come to know Christ? That would be a more horrible thing, but because of her suffering, she come to know Christ. She was an inspiration to the rest of us as well, right to the very end. Suffering is a need in life for the believer. It's a need in the life of the unbeliever well, to bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ. God knows just what suffering we need and at what level we need it. Reasons for significant suffering, 1 Peter chapter 1. Six through nine. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That verse is pretty clear, isn't it? As to why we have various trials and sufferings. But it's because of the genuineness of our faith. It's to reveal His abiding generosity on us. It's to purge us of our lack of generosity. It reveals how ungenerous we can be. So therefore it helps us make us more generous. And his work is to remove the dross to, and purify us or to remove those sinful, selfish things about us and tighten up the intimate relationship that we can have with him. And when we have a greater relationship with Him, we'll have a greater relationship with people. Those of you that are married, you want to love your spouse more? Don't focus on loving your spouse more. Focus on loving Him more. And that love will spill into your spouse and everybody else around you. Genuine faith. Why suppose he put that word, the genuineness of your faith? Because there's some people out there that don't have a clue what faith is. They simply got to believe. I think there's a Geico commercial, uh, whatever her name is. She's floating in the air and the other guy's trying to fly and says, how come I can't fly like you? Well, you don't believe hard enough. Well, there's some in the religious one that said the same thing. You didn't get healed because you didn't have enough faith. That's not what scriptures teach. But, can we be fooling ourselves with the faith that we have? Is that faith in what we think we're mustering up? Do we have to get on our knees in the morning and for an hour we have to, oh, I need more faith, and squeeze it out of us? Or do we just have to look at Christ and trust Him more? 
It's just looking at Christ and trusting Him more. That's how we increase our faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So if you want more faith, spend more time learning this book. Because this is not just a book of words. This is a book of a person. A loving person. The person called Jesus Christ. So if we're not spending time in the Word, our faith can't grow. 1 Peter 3, or 1 Peter 1, 4. Look at 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. That means the life that's coming after this one is incorruptible. It's undefiled and it's not going to fade away. We're experiencing a lot of corruption now and defilement because of the sin curse that is, that is in us. My sin nature has me corrupted and undefiled. Now thank God for the shed blood of Christ because when Christ, God sees me, He doesn't see me this way. The blood of Christ makes it clear that I'm not that, but I actually live that way yet. Anybody here go a day without sinning? Don't you wish you could? I've been playing. Lord, somehow help me to hate sin the way you do. Well, if I hated sin, it'd be a lot easier to get, a lot harder to get into it, wouldn't it? But sin is fun. <laughs> and we have our pet sins that we enjoy. I want to hate sin like he does. And in fact, I was meditating on that yesterday when I was sitting out in a tree looking for some deer and so on. I was meditating and I said, Lord, how can I help? How can I hate sin like you do? I want to hate it like you do. I've got to spend time in the Word. I've got to get to know Him. And I think that's one reason why the suffering comes. Because the suffering is to make me more like Christ. We'll look at that in a moment. It says to rejoice in the awesome relationship in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. Do we really enjoy and rejoice in our relationship we have with Jesus Christ? Do we wake up in the morning and say, God, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you're mine. And you, I can't lose you. But that would be on my lips every day. David Paulson says these words. What you do is different from what happens to you. Do we get that sentence? What you do is different from what happens to you. We really have two choices. I can do things God's way or I can do things my way. And we looked at a, a list of things that are wrong and we looked at a list of things that are right. So our suffering things are bad things that happen to us. Suffering are bad things that happen to us. But my sin is a bad thing about me. See, I can respond to the suffering in a godly manner or an ungodly manner. It's my choice. And I have to find out what that is. So your sufferings are bad things that happen to you. Your sins are bad things about you. In fact, how many times when we've gone through suffering has it revealed something about our sin nature? In fact, when we go through suffering, we should be looking for things that's going to reveal something about our sin nature. 
And when we see it, God expects us to deal with it in a godly manner. Because that's the gold purifying thing. You put gold in a pot, you turn the heat up, and the dirt comes to the top. You scrape that dirt off. So God puts us under pressure. He puts us in suffering. It, it reveals our sin nature because we respond in the wrong way. It comes to the top where we can see it. We take the Word of God and we scrape it off. Now, I wish I could say once I scrape that off, it never comes back again. <laughs> because how many times have you and I confessed the same thing more than once? Maybe a couple thousand times over a lifetime? But it's always there. When sin has not, entered, has not yet entered into the suffering, we must guard our hearts against it. Remember, He will be standing with us in those deep, cold, forceful, drowning waters. When you feel like you're drowning... And if you've come to a point, and I've seen this many a time, someone calls me on the phone, and they're in tears. Pastor, I can't take anymore! I quit! And I said, praise the Lord. What do you mean? You're at your limit. And if my guess is wrong, God's not going to put any more on you than what you're at right now. I've seen this many times. Just be patient. Wait on Him. He already has set the limit to the sorrow. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says He won't give us more than we can handle. Now I used to think that God adjusts the levels compared to where we're at. <laughs> and maybe He does. But I do believe this. There is no suffering on the face of the earth that through Christ I cannot handle in a godly manner. There is no suffering this side of heaven that I cannot handle through the shed blood of Christ. If I choose to. But too many times I get into those situations and I want to have a pity party. We talked about this Thursday night in our, at the mission with the guys that are struggling with addictions. Because what prompts some of us to get into these things? I want to have a pity party. And therefore, I'm worthy of doing whatever I want. The world's treating me poor. I'm going to get some relief, and I'm going to do what I want. I deserve it. You ever hear that anywhere? Watch television? All the hair commercials, you ladies? You deserve a break today. Get your hair done. You guys, drive our car because you deserve a break. You're worthy of this car. It'll just make you look good. That's the world's philosophy. So some even go on a shopping spree when they're feeling bad. I'll take care of this pain in my head. I'll take care of this pain in my heart. I'm just going to go shopping. And then the bills come. Now they got a bill they can't handle and now they go spend some more. Romans 8, 28, 29. Again, a verse that's very familiar. We, we all know 28. We, we, most of us could quote it. 
And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Have you ever come to a point where, Lord, what is the good in this? I cannot see it. Ever been there? Sure we have. All things, it says. There's no exclusion clause there. Every bit of suffering that comes in their life is for good for some reason. To those who are called according to His purpose. Now that applies to His children. That's us, if we know Christ. But now look at verse 29, because it tells us what the good is. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined. And that's, that, we don't like that word, do we? That means the suffering is foreordained by God. The suffering that we are experiencing or have experienced or yet to experience is ordained by God to be conformed to the image of His Son. It's to shape us to be more like Christ. Now why do we want to walk around like a bunch of little Jesuses? Why do we want to walk around like little Christ? What's the purpose of life in the first place? He wants to have an intimate relationship with you and I. And because of my sin nature, because of my selfishness, because of my meism, I cannot have a close relationship with the Father. But I am a unique individual. You are a unique individual. There's only one of you. When God made you, He broke the mold. There's no one else like you. But at the same time, He wants to shape me to be like His Son because that brings intimacy. As long as I am living like Jesus Christ, there's an intimacy that He will cherish and that we should cherish as well. So just becoming like Christ is not going to change our personality. It's not going to change us who we are and the uniqueness of which He's created us. It will enhance it. Life will become a lot more enjoyable. And even when we're going through suffering, we can still have joy. I didn't say enjoyable, I said joy. Remember, there's a difference in the definition. God will finish the work that he's begun. Now, Philippians 1 6. If you are a believer today, you know Christ as your Savior. Philippians 1 6 says this Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God has a very specific plan for your life. And you can work with him and let it get done, or you can work against him, but either way, guess what? This says it's going to get done. Now, you ever worked with a boss that was terrible to work for? I had a dairy farmer that, that way. I, he knew I was a Christian, he knew I was going to preach and he wanted to see what I was made of. And there was nothing I could do in that farm that was ever good enough. He would give me a cursing every day. His dear wife was a sweet gal. She says, he's just trying to figure out who you are and what you are. And so I got to say, he's put the pressure on you like I've never seen anybody. And you're doing pretty good. Keep up the good work. 
Now, I don't know if I had any influence or not, but I learned about 10 years later after I left that place, that man came to know Christ. What if I caved and told him to take a hike and told him where he could go? How might that have affected it? I enjoyed the paycheck, but I didn't enjoy working for him. Praise the Lord. He had other responsibilities, and so we didn't see him much. <laughs> God has a job for us, and sometimes the suffering is for a reason. Again, I have no idea whether my testimony had any influence on her or not. In fact, I learned later that he had a son who was a real troublemaker. He was spoiled rotten, could do whatever he wanted. He got saved just before he was killed in a car accident. A lot of suffering in that family after I left. But God intervened. The end of our stay. In fact, my wife questioned something in my notes here, and she was right. I had this. I had, in our stay is the end of our stay is always with a happy ending. That's not true. That's a lie. The end of our stay is always with a joyful ending. Because when my job is done, I hope, I really hope that, because I know without a doubt, and if you, you know it as well, if, if you're a believer here today, someday you and I are going to stand before the Savior. And we're going to get rewards for what we've been doing here. I don't know about you, but I don't care about the gold, silver, and the precious stones so much as I want to hear my Savior say, well done. I wonder if I'm going to hear that from my Savior when I stand before Him. That will mean more to me because whatever I get done is going to please Him. Where are you and I in that today? Are we even concerned that from day to day am I doing what God wants me to do today? Am I pleasing Him? Sometimes God's got to bring suffering to motivate us to revalue where we're at. He's got a job that wants to get done. It will get done. And we can either work with Him or we can work against Him. But either way, it's going to get done. We don't have time to read it this morning, but writing your notes somewhere, Psalm 10. David, in that psalm, records those very kind of thoughts. First Peter 4.19 Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good. Let's read that again. That might be a good verse for us to memorize this week. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good. That means while we're in the middle of our suffering, we still are expected to do good. 
We can't lash out at others and take it out on them because of how they're treating us. It just doesn't work. It's not acceptable. If you're in a bad marriage situation and you've got a spouse that's mistreating you, you have no right to treat them in any other way but good. If you've got a friend or a boss who's treating you, in fact, if you ever had a situation, I've had this several times uh, in, in a job I worked for a while, I was due for a promotion. Somebody else got promoted. Half the, talent, half the time in which I was there. Now, I could have, and there's a union, I could have gone to the union and filed a grievance. But ultimately, who gave the promotion? God did. And for some unknown reason, God wanted me left right where I was. Because it wasn't about the promotion, it was about my influence on the people in, the, in that world where I worked. And if God wanted me to have that position, I could have been the guy that was half talented and half the, the time and got the promotion. We don't know the mind of God. Did Job know the mind of God? And did God explain to Job why? No. So why do we feel like he's got to explain it to me? In a sense, we're all Job. There are going to be things that are going to experience in life that we just simply don't understand. And we don't have to. We just have to do as he says and do good. Do the right thing. Do the biblical thing. Do the Christ-like thing through the whole suffering situation. Don't take it out on the rest of the world. And we know the first one that experiences that is those who we live with. Or maybe if we work with. But grace in our suffering. Define grace. Well, that's a divine ability to do what we can't do on our own because of our sin nature. We can't overcome our sin without Christ. We cannot overcome our sin without the grace of God. So God is not saying, don't be afraid, everything will be okay, relax. He's not saying that. What He is saying is, don't be afraid. I will be with you. Be strong and be courageous. And no promise, I'll shorten the time frame if you just trust me. I'll take the sting out if you just trust me. We don't see that anywhere. Didn't happen with Job. Can you imagine being in Job's shoes? Sitting there having a conversation, a guy comes running all out of breath. Job, the Sabaeans just came in there and they took all the animals. They're gone. I'm the only one that got away. And while he's talking, another's running up out of breath. A whirlwind came in and they killed your whole family. They're all gone. And another comes in and running. And I can't remember the four things that happened. But there were four things within just a matter of minutes. Bang, 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 bang. Everything was wiped out. And what did Job say? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That was doing good. That was blessing the Lord. Now, I don't know that God would always do what he did for Job. If you look at the first chapter of Job and the very last chapter of Job, it gave the number of animals that he had in the beginning and the number of animals that they had at the end. He doubled the animals. And he gave them, I can't remember, it was seven or ten more children. He replaced it all. 
I don't think we can guarantee that that will happen if we do well, but he did it for Job. Grace enables us to endure, to have stick to -itiveness. I will stick to it. I will not give up. In fact, while we were, I think it was out in Indiana, I saw this uh, James uh, McDonald preach there. And he was going through a very difficult time in his church. And he explained that it was really getting to him. And he was somewhere in a parking lot somewhere and it got to him and he just, he said he screamed at the top of his lungs for a half hour. God help me not to give up. God help me not to give up. God help me not to give up. I want to be faithful to you through this whole thing. I don't want to give up. And he got done, he didn't have any voice. He just pleaded with God because he wanted to give up. He wanted to quit. I want to stick with it. I want to endure in this thing. Because I know that's what will please you. Grace teaches wise love. Our love for Him. We can emphasize. In fact, let's turn to 2 Corinthians 1.4. One thing we need to keep in mind when we're going through suffering, at some point in time, we're probably going to be used of God to help somebody else. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says, Who comforts us all in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are, are, are in trouble? with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. What you're experiencing now or in the future may be exactly what you need. So you can help somebody somewhere else. We can comfort because He comforts us. There's no substitute to God's comfort. It doesn't get any better than what He gives us. God's grace covers the sin curse. And we need to learn to be dependent upon Him and draw upon that grace. We could never know the magnitude of God's grace if it wasn't for the magnitude of the suffering. God wants to be known by us and He wants to draw us into an intimate relationship with Him. And so by His divine ordained will, He has carefully constructed a plan of suffering in our lives. When God thrusts us into the suffering, we better be running with Him and, and claiming His promises and enjoy the growing relationship that we will have with Him. Suffering is not easy, but God's grace is always sufficient to accomplish what He wants to. And so look at the suffering that comes like an athlete does with the instructions from his coach when he puts him through the grill to become a better athlete. He knows what's best. He knows what you can handle. And it'll help you perform better for him, our almighty God. Father, thank you for the word of God. We thank you for your love and your grace. And we pray, Father, that we will be found faithful. And that we will see suffering differently. And we'll draw upon your grace that you can accomplish what you have in our lives. It's in our Savior's name we pray. Amen.